Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Episode 6 of Hunting Seasons, a podcast about two friends catching up on notable television shows one season at a time. I'm Damask Leary. And I'm Broderick Gordis. And today we'll be discussing Season 1 of the first show in our rewatch category, Avatar The Last Airbender. Yay! Yay! How are you, Bride? Excited! Yay, to me talk too. talk about one of my favourite shows ever. It was... So much fun to rewatch this show, and it was so easy to watch. Yes. Which is nice. It was, <laughs> it's just easy to digest. It's like uh, you look at the DVD, because of course I own the DVDs. Of course you do. And it's like the season's five discs, and you go, crap, this is going to take mm-hmm. ages. And it, then I kept thinking in my head, oh, there's five episodes per disc. No, there's four. Yeah. And in less than an hour and a half, you watch the whole thing. Yeah. It was, I remember I was making my way through the first disc, mm. and then. It was over. I was like, oh, this isn't going to take long at no. all. This is nice. I like this. Um, so, yeah, if we want to watch just 20-minute shows from now on in, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm all for it, to be honest with you. So, do you want to give them our beautiful spoiler warning? Let's do it. Okay, spoiler warning. On this episode, we will be discussing everything that happens in the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender. However, we will not be spoiling anything from future seasons, not because we haven't seen them, because we have, because we don't want to spoil your little ears. That's right. If you have not yet watched the first season of Avatar, pause the podcast, go watch it, and I mean it. You have go to watch it. watch it. And then come back and join us. Uh, otherwise, proceed with caution, spoilers ahead, though you're an idiot if you're still listening. Yeah. Okay, I shouldn't call my listeners idiots. But no, but real- they are, though. If but- you haven't watched Avatar, the last Airbender, at least like season one... Yeah. You're, you're just a fool. And I'll give this warning too. I'm going to say this right now. Mm. If you're listening to this and going, you know what? I will go and watch it. Mm. Get through the first six, seven, eight episodes. Yeah. Right? If you're not loving it come episode five, yeah, I don't blame you. You know, right. it starts off with a particular tone. It takes a little while to really build the momentum yeah. and get you, hook you in. Like some shows do. We've talked about this in the past. Yeah, the first time I watched it, it took me a little while. But once, yeah. You hit this point. Got past that the, threshold. At the end of disc two, I would say on the DVDs. And you're just like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. It's got me. So yeah. do that. <laughs> anyway, let's talk a little bit about Avatar The Last Airbender. A show that originally was called The Legend of Aang. Or at least that's how the titles show up on some of my some of the DVDs in the box set. Really? I have no idea why. I've been meaning to look that up. I'm a terrible host. I will do that for the next Is show. Is it... Maybe it's called The Legend of Aang in a couple of other countries. Maybe that's Because we share our DVD region with a few other with, countries. With Europe. That could be part of it. That's a good point. Are we, do we share it with Europe? Uh, I thought it was Powell. Southeast Asia. Pal, I think I'm pretty sure, you know, you could be right. I think I'm right. <laughs> anyway. Just constantly proving we know nothing. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is a three-season original animated fantasy series that first aired on Nickelodeon on February 21, 2005, 
created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, uh, who I will forever, uh, from here on, call Brike, affectionately. Brike. That's what the fans call them, That's what the right? fans call them. As, yeah. a, as a pair, they are known as Brike. <laughs> as a collective. To the fan community, uh, to yeah. the Reddit community as uh, one of them, uh, who, <laughs> who had worked on such animated series as Family Guy and King of the Hill in the past. Very, very different shows tonally. Yeah. Classic type, well, not classic necessarily, but sitcom comedy shows. Mm. The show stars Zach Tyler, Mae Whitman. Her? No, no, no. It's like, her? <laughs> <laughs> who, if you don't know, plays <laughs> Anne. Is it Anne? I've actually forgotten her name. Anne. It's got to be Anne. It is Anne. Yeah. Egg in, <laughs> in, in Arrested <laughs> Development. Uh, Jack Decina and Dante Busco, who Rufio! played Rufio, <laughs> an actor who just disappeared. He was a star, bright shining star yeah. back in Hook, and then just disappeared into the night. I'll mm. never forget. Rufio's he's been doing death. voice acting for a while, though, hasn't he? I don't honestly. I don't know. He's okay. Truth be told, yeah. he's not even that good a voice actor. He's not that great a voice actor. Like mm. there are, uh, he's. I don't know. He's he's fine in the show, but he's like yeah. his tone is angry. Right. And that's kind of all he's got. I don't think he's that good as a voice actor. Right. I love I love Zuko. Don't get me. Do you think that might just be the direction of Zuko, though? Uh, no. And there's a reason that it's something in season three that proves he's a bad voice actor. Okay. But <laughs> I... Spoilers. It's spoilers. <clears throat> we can't let that inform our opinion. But it is great to see Dante, uh, Dante Basco, right. Rufio doing something. Because I think he's done some other Nickelodeon stuff. Is he? So it'd be interesting to hear him... Do a different character. You know what we should do for the next episode? What? Do some fucking research. <laughs> so we can answer these questions accurately. I see like vague things in articles and stuff and I remember like 10% of what was said and then I just kind of blurted out in this podcast. Basically. Just you're, really you're the, ill-informed opinions. Yeah. You're a millennial. You re, you know, you scroll through it. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, where, are, the, where are your sources? I've got no idea. <laughs> Facebook's on Breitbart. Could be my own brain, really. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. And <laughs> the show was generally well received in terms of viewership and critically as well. It won a couple of outstanding animated program primetime Emmys, which is pretty cool. Uh, the story of Avatar, once the the original series was ended, continued into comic books and then eventually into the four season sequel series of The Legend of Korra in 2012, which I would also love to talk about <laughs> one day. I desperately want to talk about Korra. Like just rewatching we'll Avatars uh, would just daydream about Cora. I'm like, oh, God, that show was good. I mean, it had its, it has its problems, but... Cora definitely does. Yeah. It's a very... I mean, yeah, it's still an animated show. It's yeah. still set in the same yeah. universe. But it is very different in terms of what it's trying to do. Its yeah. story and structure mm. is totally different. I, yeah, I just think... For better and Cora will always have a special place in my heart. I, I controversially can't to people who love the shows, mm. who all tend to have a favourite. Mm. I can't split them. Yeah, right. I lo- I love them equally because they're different. Right. If Cora was trying to be Avatar, mm. um, I think I would probably make Avatar my favorite. But yeah. Cora isn't trying to be Avatar; it's trying to be something something very different, tell a very different story. That's true. And therefore, I love it. I just can't get past it. Fair enough. Damask, would you like to give us a brief rundown of the story of season one of Avatar: The Last Airbender? I'll give you a rundown. I don't know how brief it'll be, but <laughs> let's see how we go. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed, when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. And so the show begins. 
We meet Katara and Saka, two siblings belonging to the Southern Water Tribe. They bicker and banter as siblings do until, thanks to Katara's water bending ability, the Avatar, a young boy named Aang, is discovered in a big ball of ice along with his flying bison, Appa. Having been getting some serious beauty sleep for a hundred years, Aang is shocked to learn about the Great War that has lasted a century. As Aang adjusts to the new state of the world, we meet a young man in command of a Fire Nation ship. He is the disgraced Prince Zuko and is in pursuit of the Avatar. His wise and lovable Uncle Iroh joins him on his mission, even though he describes it as a fool's errand. Of course, our lovable hero is victorious over Zuko, but he can't revel in victory for too long. It is his duty to master all four elements. Katara and Saka both volunteer to help him on their mission. First stop, the Northern Water Tribe, where both Aang and Katara can master the art of waterbending. And along the way, though, the gang do get distracted. The first of these distractions is the Southern Air Temple, Aang's home. It sadly is empty. His people have been wiped out by the Fire Nation. He is the last airbender. Thankfully, Katara and Saka are there to remind Aang that there is always hope and he is not alone, and they continue on their journey. While travelling, the gang have many adventures, one of which is when they discover a scorched forest and a nearby village under siege by a giant spirit that destroys their town and takes a person each night. Saka is stolen by the spirit, and Aang tries to save him. He fails, unfortunately, but in doing so, unwittingly enters the spirit world. While there, Aang takes a ride on a friendly dragon that belongs to the previous avatar, Roku. Roku tells him that the Fire Nation gains their power from the sun, but in the past, they've also become practically unstoppable when a comet passes. And guess what's passing by soon? Uh-oh. It's a comet. Aang must master the four elements before the comet arrives, which is in about nine months. Yikes. After a few more adventures, Aang, Saka, and Katara find themselves without food and money. In the pursuit of both these things, we come across a fisherman who scolds Aang for having disappeared for so long and having let down the people he was meant to protect. Aang, obviously riddled with guilt, runs off and Katara goes to follow. Aang ends up in a cave with Katara right behind him and we see flashes of his old life. He was still the Aang we know, playful and fun and spirited. These attributes that we love in Aang are echoes of his mentor, Monk Yatso, who was childlike even in his old age. These happy memories of his friend and mentor are marred by sadness, though. Aang overhears that he's to be sent away from Gyatso to be trained to become the Avatar. Unable to cope with this news, Aang runs away and falls into the ocean, only to be discovered a hundred years later. Now, the backstory of Aang is presented side by side with that of Zuko's. We learn just how he got his face scar and why he was banished from his homeland. Uncle Iroh allowed the teenage Zuko to sit in on a war room meeting, Listening to the generals discuss strategy, Zuko becomes shocked that the generals are so willing to sacrifice their men just for bait. He speaks up. It's considered a great affront to all in the war room, and so Zuko must duel. Mistakenly, Zuko assumes he must fight the general he opposes, but no, it's his father, the Fire Lord, he must battle. He refuses to fight out of respect for his father, but the Fire Lord considers this dishonourable and cowardly. He gives his son the scar we all know and then banishes him. Iroh, feeling guilt, follows his nephew. After a storm, both Saka and Katara fall ill and Aang sets off to find some medicine. However, he is captured and imprisoned by Admiral Zhao, a high-ranking officer in the Fire Nation. Zuko, of course, is not happy with this as Aang is his key to ever being able to go home again. As Aang waits helplessly in his cell, a mysterious stranger wearing a blue mask infiltrates the prison. 
Using great skill, he is able to free Aang, and they escape from Zhao's clutches in one of the most beautifully choreographed sequences I've personally ever seen. Excellent. It's so good. Um, Just as the two have passed the walls of the prison, the blue masked stranger is struck and falls unconscious. The mask falls away a little bit, and Aang sees that his rescuer is in fact his enemy, Prince Zuko. Unable to leave him, because he's Aang and he's wonderful, he takes the prince to safety. In the forest, as Zuko lays unconscious, Aang wonders if they ever could have been friends. This thought is sadly interrupted as Zuko wakes up and just blasts him with some fire. As Zuko is known to do. <laughs> That's his first reaction to everything. Fire! Ah! Um, and so Aang runs off and helps his friends with some medicine. Finally, the gang arrives at the Northern Water Tribe. Yay! Aang is taught by Master Paku how to waterbend. And there's some sexist bullshit that happens, but we can discuss that later. And Saka meets a Baben Water Tribe princess by the name of Yue. 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 Um, unfortunately, our trio don't have much time to catch their breath before Admiral Zhao, aka Admiral Jerkface, um, arrive. And, oh yes, of course, Zuko's on board as a stowaway. And they attack the Water Tribe. We learnt earlier in the season that firebenders gain their power from the sun, and here we learn that waterbenders in turn gain power from the moon. Zhao has a plan to destroy the moon and its spirit, and therefore destroy the waterbenders forever. Iroh warns against waging war with spirits, but Zhao has no time for it. He's a man with a plan. Zuko has his own plan, of course, and he sneaks into the water tribe to find the Avatar and capture him for himself. The Water Tribe are quickly becoming overwhelmed by the sheer force of the Fire Nation, and so Aang enters the spirit world for guidance from the moon and ocean spirits. He's helpless in the physical realm while he's in this state, which of course is a perfect time for Zuko to appear. He nabs Aang after a nice little battle with Katara and enters the snowy wilds to escape. And while Aang is in the spirit world, he learns that the moon and ocean no longer exist in this spirit plane, but instead live in the mortal world. They're two cute little koi fishes that swim in a sacred pond within the water tribe. Aang's spirit locates his body, which has been captured by Zuko, and following Aang's spirit, Sucker and Katara find him too, and they all leave together after a little tete-a-tete with Zuko. Now Zhao manages to find those cute little koi that are actually spirits, and sadly, he murders the moon spirit. And it was pretty damn dark and epic, that bit. Yes. It's so cool. Yes, it is. It's, It's fantastic. And the world falls into darkness and all seems lost until Princess Yue reveals that she was once saved by the moon spirit as a child and now contains some of that spirit inside her. She sacrifices her own life to restore balance to the world and the moon returns to the sky. The ocean spirit, feeling great anger at the death of the moon, harnesses Aang and destroys the Fire Nation Navy. They are defeated. It is a victory for Aang, his friends and the Water Tribe. But there is still much to do before the world is truly safe. And I guess we'll have to wait for the second chapter in this great adventure. Thank you, Damas. That was lovely. Oh, thank you. That was written all by Damas, too. <laughs> Such a good job condensing I didn't plagiarize 20 episodes. Anything. You did extremely well. You didn't borrow from I from IMDB users like <laughs> I usually do. You're a much better person. I mean, than I me. would if I was just doing a basic synopsis, but Some jerk <laughs> face said do the whole thing. Yeah. All right. Let's start. <laughs> let's start talking about what I think. Other, okay. Preface this. I freaking love this show to bits. Mm-hmm. There are definitely things that aren't perfect about it. I have criticisms to be sure. Yes. And we'll get to those. I've got a whole section that's just criticisms, right? Mm-hmm. But let's start just talking about why, what I think is so great about this show and why I recommend it to everybody. Great. 
Why hold it up there with like Star Wars and and, and Harry Potter? Mm-hmm. Let's start with the world building. Yes. Just the world of Avatar: The Last Airbender. the The premise at the start, that little bit that Katara says, the bit that you read out before, like mm. Earth, Fire, Air, Water, not in that order. I've stuffed that up, but <laughs> um, yeah. it talks about that. It talks about the history, of the Fire Nation, and the Avatar and stuff mm. like that. And that's a great starting point, you know. It's such a simple concept, the idea the world is sort of divided into these four nations, yep. that there are these people who have talents, this ability to bend, which essentially just means manipulate through martial arts, I might add. Yep. Um, four distinct martial arts, yeah. The four elements. Mm. Um, and then from there, though, it just keeps expanding, 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 expanding outward. And every time... Like, one of the things I love about the show is, though, it, it has this serialized story, which mm. you can see by you going through the the synopsis there before but it's also very episodic and there are episodes that are very self-contained but i feel like every time we do one of those episodes even if it doesn't add to the direct plot it Mm. is filling out a little bit more of this world yeah we learn a little bit more about the water tribe we learn a little bit more about the earth kingdom we learn a little bit more about the Mm -hmm. air nomads or whatever it might be and i just find it i find incredible i love the world so much it Mm. does it it is able to do what star wars is able to do when it talks about the force you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I find bending so actually better than the. I've got a whole section on why this is better than Star Wars too. But it's like <laughs> it's like I don't know. I just I find the world is so detailed and yes. so well thought out. Uh, the limits limitations are generally fairly mm. well. Sometimes you look at things and go, "Well, that person's OP," or "That that thing's really overpowered," or whatever. But generally, I think the limits of the world and the rules of the world are really well explained mm. and fairly consistent. Um, it's like similar to how I feel about magic in Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I usually find is a great mark of world building is if after I've watched something and I step away from it and I feel that childlike giddiness because I want to be a waterbender or I, you know, after watching Force Awakens, I want to be a Jedi or after watching Harry Potter, I want to go to Hogwarts because, or reading Harry Potter more so. But because the world is so detailed, I see it and I can see myself in that world. Exactly. And Avatar does that beautifully. Absolutely. And I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You wonder if I'm going to be a Jedi, would be a Sith. What color would my lights have to be? (laughs) You know, what would my wand be? What house I'd be sorted to? I remember like after you first told me to watch this show and I was like... What kind of bender do you reckon you'd be? And then we were like talking about it. And I, I mean, I would definitely be a waterbender. I know that. I'm an earthbender for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and not from the first season too. The first season, actually, earthbenders get a little underserved, I think. Yeah. Um, but you get through second season, you go, oh, yeah, earthbender for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that is one thing I love. Mm. Uh, that, and that's just a good starting point. Just the, the world it sets up for the, for the show is just beautifully detailed and really well yeah. constructed. I love that. Um. The characters aren't necessarily all that amazing. They're not all that unique, necessarily. There are mm. plenty of archetypes in here. Yes, absolutely. Aang, our main character, our airbender monk, the Avatar, is a real goody two-shoes. Yeah. Like, he is... Oh, he's mischievous, though. Well, this is where, I, this is where I, right, I, I I'm see. really happy with this going. Because you look at him and his, what his sort of virtues are, and mm. he's extremely virtuous. He's, like, yeah, he's righteous. Extremely, yeah. right? Mm. He would be uh, not lawful good, not neutral good, not catered good. So I guess he'd, be, he'd probably be neutral good, I think, mm. is where you'd put him. He's very like Superman type, uh, type of character in terms of his virtues. But he's also very flawed. He's yeah. a kid. 
Yes. And can be very childish at times. It's very mischievous, very mm. joking, can be lazy at times, mm. um, can even be petty at times. Yeah. Has a... Is a little bit weak to vanity as well sometimes. <laughs> yeah. He really likes attention. Yes. Um, and sometimes gets sucked into like is seduced by mm. the fame of being the avatar as well. And that's why having a child protagonist is so good. There's so much to go from that because because flaws are not perhaps as big or as detrimental as they might be in adult characters. They're they're smaller things and you can see how they will dictate who he becomes in the future. Yeah, there's plenty of room for him to grow and he will. Yeah. But there is so much yeah, joy and he's obviously he's a child, so he's childlike and he's such a happy guy. But there there are flaws there. But there there are children's there are child's flaws. So it's kind of forgivable. And I think Katara and Saka have, you know, similar flaws in which, like, they're teenagers, so they're a little bit older, and their mm-hmm. flaws are dictated by that. And it's just nice to kind of see that dynamic between a child, t- teenagers, and then how they negotiate the world of adults and really adult themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's another thing we'll get to in a bit as well. Then you've got his two main partners, uh, Katara and Saka, brother mm. and sister. Katara, extremely strong-willed, uh, real sense of... Of justice and and mm. righteousness as well, very empathetic, and very maternal, maternal, yeah. optimistic generally mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and then Sarko sort of is the the flip side of her. Yeah. <laughs> um, she he is extremely practical, but but lazy as well. Yeah. Um, generally very intelligent, seems to be very mm. clever. He develops that skill, which is interesting for that type of character because he is the comedic relief. Absolutely. Um, but he he's. Kind of, he's a smart one. He he he's a great problem solver. In this, yeah, he definitely the problem solver. Definitely pragmatic, and start to develop him as being a bit of a strategist, or maybe even mm. a bit of a leader yes. as we go along as well. He tends to be. There's an episode, the one, the Northern Air Temple. Mm. They really start to yeah. They, they show he's, he's got a clever, yeah, great capacity for inventive thought. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he, but but yeah, under all that is absolutely comedy relief yeah. and <laughs> extremely good doing that. Yes, like he is very, 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 very funny. Mm-hmm. I love Saka. I love Saka. <laughs> He's so good. I uh, mean, I love them all, but yeah, Saka's amazing. He's very funny. And that's our core trio, right? Mm. And then you've got Arpa, the giant uh, air bison. Bison, thank you, mm-hmm. flying bison. Um, Momo and Momo, the flying monkey, and that's sort of our Lima. Cool, Lima. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> See if I can get this stuff wrong. Um, no one's perfect. Um, <laughs> I try. I know the there are there are core in terms of our, our main plot, but where I think mm. the show is really really incredible is yes, actually yes, 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 yes. in our sort of our secondary group of main characters. Mm-hmm. Which is Zuko, yes, Prince Zuko and Uncle Iroh, mm. who, okay, first two episodes, the first two episodes are set up as sort of our pilot. Mm. It's a two-part sort of pilot. Katara and Saka meet Aang. Aang realizes he's been frozen in ice, done a bit of a Captain America for a hundred years. Yeah. Wakes up and he's been gone from the world, and the world's been at war ever since. Um. He's coming to terms with that. And then Zuko is up as the main antagonist. He's the one who's going to be chasing the Avatar, mm. as he does 
in most episodes through this season. That's his thing. Is like, yeah. I'm going to chase the Avatar and get the Avatar and get my honour restored. I really want to talk about this season without looking at future seasons because I know where this goes and I know yeah. how rewarding it is. But even in this season, while that's still his main mission, mm. we can start to see them the plot try and show there's going to be mm. more here. And they just they make him so interesting and compelling. Yeah. And I, like obviously, you know, the backstory of the relationship between his, him and his father is really interesting. But yeah. I, I love the way that they can show the difference in Fire Nation peoples through Zhao and Zuko. Through Zhao and Zuko, through, I can't remember the character's name, but the, oh, he's got a really, it's Hama, or, no, it's not, that's not that. There's a, but there's a character in The Deserter, episode 16, mm. who is a firebender as well. Yeah. Uh, who was Zhao's mentor. Yeah. Who has sworn off, mm. basically, using firebending. It's a destructive force, as, and he doesn't want right? to be a part of that. And also at... um that fire temple where uh, Ruko is, there's that monk there who's also not willing to blindly follow the... Yeah, so one of the fire yeah. sages ends mm. up... Uh... But I, but yeah, so I, I just, I do particularly like the parallel narrative of Zhao and Zuko. Yes. With like the same kind of, you know, what am I, same sort of quest. Yes. Um, but the way that they approach it is so different. Yep. Completely um, different reasons for do well... Sort of. I mean, Zhao is after glory. I guess there's a difference, mm. yeah. Zhao's after glory and fame, and Zuko's just after getting his honour back. He's just looking for his dad's, yes. you know. And I think there are instances throughout the season where we see that um, what first got Zuko in trouble is what he he doesn't think that... Um, he has the compassion. Me- the means always justify the end. He doesn't, he doesn't truly believe that. And yep. while he might tell himself that now he does believe that, his actions... Um, show something very different as opposed to Zhao who will do anything Absolutely. to get what he wants. Yeah, And it's little things with Zuko too that show that though. It's mm-hmm. like the times he goes back and like, well, yeah, saves his uncle yeah. or times he goes back and like, even in the second episode, he's like, we'll chase after the Avatar after you guys thaw out. And yeah. Like that. And while he's a real, or actually the, the, when the he storm, saves, the yeah, storm and he saves a, another, another one of his men on his ship. Mm. And in that episode, we we see a wonderful example of what he tells himself and what he actually does, who the person he actually is. In which he, at the beginning, he tells his uncle, he's like, you know, none of my crewmen, my crew's life matter. Like, as long as we get the avatar, that's all that matters. And yep. then obviously something happens and one of his soldiers is in peril. In peril and he saves him. I love Zuko. I know. I, I, the, the Zuko storyline is absolutely, it's just incredible. He said that, that, duality that conflict of personalities of uh, who he really is and what he's become because he thinks he needs yeah. to become well it's that. yeah it's the difference between culture and person yeah and like who you are as opposed to the environment that you grew up in yeah and then on top of that the main sort of character that goes alongside Zuko is Uncle Iroh mm. who in this season Really starts out very buffoonish. Yes. Like he's he's a, he's the comic relief of their storyline. Mm. He's always talking about tea, or he's talking about <laughs> pie show, or he's talking about food. He gets mm. sad when food gets wasted, or he's he's interested in music night on board the ship, <laughs> and all those sorts of things. The Suki horn he want he buys, yeah. which comes up like three or four times throughout the season as well, which I love. Yeah, uh, that's good. Um, so it goes like, I'm not playing the Suki horn. The, what what's the horn called? The Suki Suki horn. The Suki Su- horn. Su- I'm not Suki playing horn. the Suki horn. Yeah. 
Um, but then little by little, and this is, I love the, the way that little moments reveal these characters as well, mm. particularly either their backstories or their, or their real nature. Yeah. You find out that he's got a really, really interesting history as well. He once was a great general. He had mm. a very, very famous uh, loss. Yeah, failure. Um, yep. uh, military Say. loss at Basing yep. Say, which we haven't gone to yet, but mm. he's talked about as being like the, the capital of the Earth Kingdom, which is mm. sort of the... If you think about the the war in this, it's really between the Fire Nation of the Earth Kingdom, primarily. Yeah. The Earth Kingdom, if you look at the map, has yeah. the majority of the map. Yeah. Air, I mean, air's been obliterated and... Water just has the north and the south. Yeah. And even the south, it's like scattered little tribes. Yeah, it's, it's not barely really, um, Yeah. It's not a civilization, as no. I think um, Zhao calls it. Um, and then, yeah, you, you find out that history. You find out he had a son that died, mm. which informs his connection with Zuko to some yeah. degree. He has the guilt of being the one who brought Zuko into the, the war room, war room in, yeah. in the first place. He has a real respect for the balance of the world, mm-hmm. for the spirits. He has a connection to the spirit world, yeah. Yep. Um, he is the only person that also sees... He can see spirits. Roku's dragon. <laughs> yeah. He can see spirits. He talks about... Gen- General uh, Admiral Zhao at this point. Um, mentions that he had travelled to the spirit world, yeah. which at this point we thought maybe only the Avatar could do. Mm. Um, there is so much going on with that character. He starts out as such a clown, and even by the end of season one, you are intrigued to know more about it, and you feel a real connection and his ongoing struggle to make sure that Zuko doesn't mm. completely yeah. you know, become someone he shouldn't be. It just amazes me with you know quite a few you know main players in this story that I, I can't really think of a misstep for any of them. In terms of where they go with those of, characters? Of authenticity of like of character where like everything makes sense. Yep. Um, everything is put out for you to see um, or, or what you need to see yep. so that it does make sense. Um, yeah. Like I can't commend the writers enough for amazingly being able to balance this really cute, charming sense of humor, some really dark storylines, really like diverse characters with Oh sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just incredible what they're able to achieve in a children's cartoon. That's the point I want to make <laughs> next. The thing that's really important to remember is this is a Nickelodeon cartoon. Mm. It is an American anime show. This is and sometimes like anime, if you know anything about anime, anime can be quite adult and quite, mm. um, you know, quite deep and you know, it's complex and those sorts of things. Yeah. And this gets talked about being anime sometimes because it's very Asian inspired. Mm-hmm. It uh, the animation at times definitely borrows some anime language, mm. uh, visual language for sure, um, quite effectively a lot of the time. But there is no doubt it's it's an American television show made by two Americans on Nickelodeon and for the most part is animated like an beautifully but animated like an American cartoon. Yeah. Um and it's for a show that was a Saturday morning cartoon and really does start out very kiddish. Yeah. I, I think one of the big criticisms that I have is it does take a little while to get going because it's still very much aiming to be, you know, aim at eight year olds. But that being said, it never really doesn't stop being aimed at those people no. too. It just adds a level of narrative complexity and storytelling complexity. Mm. It doesn't talk down to its audience at all. And just uh, 
yeah, it's still approachable, but there is so much, there's more depth there than you would really ever think. And it's ah, oh, it's so so good. I mean, that was one of the main reasons that I just hadn't watched it because the only experience of Avatar I'd had was like I'd turn on the TV in like a Saturday morning and it would be on. I'd watch it for five seconds, and be like, "This is a fucking kids show. I don't want to watch this," and I'd turn it off uh- and, until you like made me watch it, <laughs> and then I realized that it is a kids show, but it contains things that i think anyone can appreciate this is something we should have talked about earlier actually Mm. is how you did come around to the show eventually and so for you it was when i finally force fed it to you yeah you you made me watch it um and you you promised me that it was amazing so i was like okay i'll watch it and it was um but yeah it did did take a a while for me to get into it yeah and i was genuinely worried that i just it wasn't going to happen i was like i just don't really like it i'm not connecting with it at all yeah um, but re-watching it, I was like, I loved it from like the get-go because I knew where it was going. I, I already knew these characters, so it was a very different experience. And re-watches are very, very rewarding because mm. you realise, you do start to realise just how expertly they are building this story and this mm-hmm. world and this narrative and they're where they're, the characters they always knew or they yeah. knew very early on what they were mm. going to do with most of these people. And even like we were speaking about earlier, like filler episodes. And even though they're certainly not my favorite episodes Mm -hmm. and yeah, there's some moments where I'm like, eh, I don't really like, I just want the next thing to happen. But all of those filler episodes, they, I think they really, usually, I think most of the time really benefit the character and the world. They're there. What they do Mm. as say something like dead like me didn't do and i will forever use dead like me on this show probably as a reference (laughs) of how not to make a television show is it's not like we're just having these little adventures where they have a Mm. battle with the fire nation army i mean that happens a lot that they battle zuko and the fire nation army Mm. but there is always a centralized character driven plot in there Mm. um it's either a reflection on katara or it's a reflection on ang and where he's at that point or reflection on saka or on Zuko, whatever it might be, but mm. there is even the little side adventures yeah. do reveal something about the characters to some degree or expand yeah. the world in some way and more often than not do come to have at least some minor consequence yeah. later on. Not and always, but usually. Yeah, and I think it really works in this instance because we are dealing with you know a child and two teenagers and so those episodes where like it may not be hugely like main plot-driven... Mm. Um, for the main arc of the series, but it is a coming of age and they're learning and they're growing. Mm-hmm. So it has a little bit more room to do that. Whereas if we were watching adults, it would be just kind of like, oh God, as an adult, you should already know these things or yeah. have this idea of the world or whatever it is. But it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's nice to see kids slowly grow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I found the show, I was aware of the show too. Mm. I knew, I knew of Avatar The Last Airbender. I knew it was about the four elements. I didn't necessarily realize that was about that sort of martial arts style. Mm. Um, and you was a kid show. I'd probably seen an episode or bits of episodes like you had. It was, I was, it was a podcast actually. I'm pretty sure. I think what happened was I was listening to a podcast and they reviewed the movie mm. as in the M night Shyamalan yeah. travesty of a film, live action film based on the first season of the show. Mm. And the reviewers, one or two of them had watched the show yeah, right. And were so heartbroken by how bad it was. <laughs> and couldn't stress enough That's how really much they sad. loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they couldn't stress enough. It's just like, people are going to see this movie and get the wrong idea about this show. Yeah. Because everyone should watch it. It is excellent. And it was, it was then I was like, I should really give this show a go. Mm. And I 
consumed it. And it did take me, like, you know, those six, seven, eight episodes to really get into it. Yeah. But then the the show was well and truly out by then, the all three seasons, and yeah. I just, like, in a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, it, never, and not long after Cora was announced, I got really excited. Yeah, right. <laughs> It was amazing. Well, one, one of the things you sort of started to talk about there mm-hmm. was, as well, was... Um, the storytelling, I think one of the things that's worth talking about as well in this show is that it has a really, really, really good visual language. And mm. it helps that it's animated. But sometimes animated shows don't use that visual language. It's easy for something like... So previously these guys worked on Family Guy and King of the Hill. Yeah, and which I, shocked me when I found that out. I was like, oh, it's a very different Completely different of type of yeah. show. And I think about those shows and I, re- and I don't know King of the Hill that well. And I've only watched... I've watched, you know, a good reasonable amount of family guy but never loved it but apart from their special episodes they tend to have a really pretty straightforward visual language it is mm. you know it sort of a it's almost like a sitcom it's like shot yeah. like it's on a st- stage almost like it's just it's, it's not that interesting exactly visually. what it is for both those shows yeah right and that's how i think of both those shows this takes full advantage of what's doing a from a like an action point of view which i'll get to in a bit but it for a kid's show, it's surprising how subtle it can be sometimes. There's a moment in the second last episode, the Siege of the Water Tri- oh, the oh, Siege of the North, sorry, part one, where Saka and Yue, Yui said, stated that she can't see Saka anymore, mm. and he's very upset by this. And then in a moment of like rebellion and despair, he puts his hands up for a secret, potentially suicidal mission. Yeah. And goes, walks up to get the mark put on his face, and Yue's standing there doing her her royal thing and just mm. being stoic. And he gets the mark and then he walks away and turns back to look at her. And there's no... They don't say anything. No one mm. says anything. Yeah. But they look at each other and you can see the anguish in her face and you can see the disappointment in his face and it's just like, it's all there. Yeah. And nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> and I love that the show is sophisticated enough to do that. Um, it... I don't know. I, oh, it's, it's really, really beautifully put together like that. I mean... And even things like, towards the end, the epic nature of it. When the moon spirit gets captured by mm. Admiral Zhao and everything goes red. It's so ominous and dark. And then when, you know, the moon spirit dies. And it, killed. And it goes, everything is black and white, except for when they're using the elements. It's so cool. Right. And so the ocean spirit has <laughs> this blue glow so to well. it. And it works so well. And the fire... Yeah, and it's not... But the thing what I love as well is it's not just the fire that glows red when the firebenders are using fire. It illuminates what's around them. Mm. So if your character's there, all of a yeah. sudden their black and white robes become whatever colours yeah. they should be. And it's... So cool. It's so simple, but so powerful. Yeah. And you feel the weight of what's happened mm-hmm. because of the, yeah. the like, way they choose They literally, like, drained before. the life out of the world they'd created just visually. It was... Yeah. So smart. It's so <laughs> smart, Joe. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and beautiful and oh, mm. everything about it. Is amazing. <laughs> I love it. I'll say that a million times still, but I do. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then the action. And it is heavily inspired by martial arts. Mm. And they obviously take, pay real attention to that. Um, they have martial arts supervisors and choreographers yeah. on the show to help them do that sort of stuff. But when the show first starts off, it's really just people throwing water at each other and throwing fire at each other. And then they might pick up a rock and they might throw a rock <laughs> at each other. Or 
and does the air thing and people get blown away. Mm. But as it goes along... It evolves. It really evolves and it starts to get really clever. It builds out these power sets in Mm. different ways. Katara and Warbenders start to be able to freeze things. Yeah. Which I love. Well, yeah, the first time I saw Katara like freeze something, I was like, what? Mm. Yeah, it was really cool. And they just build and build and build and build Mm -hmm. and build on this. And the set pieces, not not always amazing, but there are some real winners in there. You mentioned the one during the Blue Spirit, I think it's called. Yeah, the Blue Spirit. So generally when I'm watching an action sequence, I'm checked out. I'm not really engaged in what's happening. I'm just waiting for the action sequence to be over until, like, I can get some more character work happening. Mm-hmm. Um, then this sequence happens in the Blue Spirit where the Blue Spirit, a.k.a. Zuko, Prince is Zuko. Prince Zuko Prince is Zuko. rescuing um, Aang. Aang. Sorry. Is rescuing Aang. And He's the... doing it, by the way, not out of his own heart. because no, no, no. He wants Aang. <laughs> Admiral Zhao has him. He doesn't want him to have He yeah. wants the Avatar. Yeah. So they're escaping, and that sequence, my like my jaw was on the ground. I was just so engaged. It was beautiful. It was inventive. I I loved it. <laughs> it's so clever the way they yeah. use. Like, I don't think I've ever loved an action sequence, but I loved that. It was yeah, it was amazing. It's just so fun and adventurous and clever. They're using the ladders as like I I had stilts. I, well, let's think. Like, Not only like did they use the ladders as stilts but even the way the fire nation they used pro- the ladders yeah. i've never seen anything like that before they sort of run ever. up the wall with yeah them. it's so cool it's very very cool and yeah so there's like wonderful things like that that generally i'm not engaged with but they managed to do it mm-hmm. it was also i also had a similar moment um when they finally arrive at the northern water tribe mm-hmm. and they like open up the water tribe or the the, the city and the methods that the waterbenders use to like create walls and then to create like doors, like it opens up and oh, it was stunning. I was like, I want to go there. That is the most beautiful city I've ever seen. And waterbending, it looks like an art form. Mm-hmm. And so you want to do it. <sighs> it's, it's, <laughs> so good. it's interesting too. The, I think you can see the show evolving. It's visual language goes along as yes, well. Early yes. on, there is uh, an episode called The King of Omashu where they go to an mm. Earth uh, Kingdom city. Yes. And similarly, it's meant, it's, quite, it's meant to be quite impressive and they sort of show this like stacked city, sort of like Minas Tirith yeah. type city. And when they, they, at the start, there are guards and they open up the walls to let them in. It's mm. like impressive earth bending. And then there's this moment that always sticks in my brain as being like a part where they got it wrong, right. where they would have looked at it later on and gone, we can't ever do that again. That's not how this works. Mm. Where a guard puts them into a cell and he does his thing where he like stamps the ground and the wall comes down and lets them in like it normally would. Like they, the earthbenders do all the time. Yeah. But for some reason, this is such a stupid little detail, by the way. This shows my <laughs> neuroses for these things. Yeah. It's not a clean door. It's like jaggedy. Oh. And it's okay. like, well, no, a capable earthbender who would be in the guard at Omashu, it would be like a block. It would shift yeah. down. It would be like every other one was. But they were still figuring this stuff out. Mm. They weren't sure right. what earthbending should look like yet. It's probably one of the first times we actually see earthbending. I think it is the first time we actually see earthbending yeah, in the right. entire show. Um, and they're still figuring that out. Mm. But yeah, but then you can see them learn those lessons and then apply them to what they yes. do in when they get to the Northern Water Tribe. And it's mm. they've like gone, oh, we can learn from this and fixed <laughs> it. And like I, I love seeing that happen. And it, 
it all works. Can I just say in that episode, I don't. That episode made me laugh. I think more than any other. The King of Amashu. Yeah, it's quite a funny episode. <laughs> you so like Boomy? You love Boomy? I love Boomy. He, oh, he just he gets me, man. He gets <laughs> me. He's just it's the comedy writing in this show is incredible because they have to keep it so clean and because a lot of it is slapstick and I'm not a huge fan of slapstick no. but their execution and their timing and a lot of the voice actors this again nail is it every time visual language though yes, it yep. knows how to use its frames mm-hmm. it knows how to and timing timing which is yep. a big part of animation too like I don't know I don't know a huge amount about, about it I, I've never really done it mm. beyond trying to make a ball bounce or something like, like I don't know I'm, I've tried and gone no oh, this isn't for me I can't do this. I'm not patient enough for this um, but like uh, I'm a very big Pixar fan as well. I love animation as an art form. Mm. I quite like anime and like Miyazaki and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I kind of understand the concept behind it. And timing is really important because timing mm. your keyframes and and when things move and when they don't really is the difference between something feeling alive and and feeling like it's a drawing basically. Yeah. And but that that timing is also reflected in its comedy. And yes. I think you were talking about a moment in the Fortune Teller episode. <laughs> so I'm not a huge fan of the Fortune Teller episode. Um, it does have some really great comedy moments. It's, it's fine. It's yeah. just a completely filler yeah. episode. But I think one of my favourite moments <laughs> in the entire season is Aang, is, he's got some feelings for Katara. Um, they're not reciprocated and he's feeling quite despondent and he's just standing on the street and this duck waddles up which we have seen a couple of times this duck in the yeah. episode um and they're standing i don't know like four meters apart or something yeah. like that and ang just silently turns towards the duck they make eye contact and the duck just goes Mark. And then it scene. cuts away. Yeah. End scene. It was yeah. amazing. It's just a perfect little button on the end of this scene. This awkward moment. Yeah. It was just It wonderful. just needs this absurd thing to happen. Yeah. But it, again, it's like it is the timing of that yeah. duck quack is excellent. The moments yeah. where they look at each other. Even the framing. It's like mm. it's a really wide shot. Yeah. They just stand on opposite sides of the frame. They're like, you yeah. know, one half of the screen mm. height. The, the ang is and the duck's even smaller, obviously. Yeah. And just... Yeah. It it works yeah. more often and uh and yeah sorry just to go back to um King Boomy from Omashu, it's that scene when he has captured you know our trio and he's talking about putting them in the cell. <laughs> sorry, it was one of the most oh. The writing of that scene is just perfect. Anyway, they're talking about the cells, but they don't number the cells. And so they're trying to describe the cells. And so it's about like, put them in the good cell that was the bad cell. And they're just kind of like this little stupid little conversation they have, which is not important to the plot. That doesn't need to be there, but it just rounds out the world and makes it such an enjoyable show. When you're actually like chuckling at least three to four times every episode in a 20 minute episode. It's fantastic. All right. Controversial opinion. Oh, no. I actually don't love The King of Amashu. It's probably my least favorite episode this season. That's fair enough. It just made me laugh a lot. But, and the thing is, though, I would actually use it as an example of where the comedy was still trying to figure itself out. And really? I don't think it's... Was it too much for you? It, it's it's a little too goofy, mm. right? There's oh, a bit like where it. it's like, let us leave. And you're like, that's <laughs> sort of... Okay. So I love clearly, that. Clearly, we have very different senses of humor. It was... No, I really enjoyed Let Us Sleep and I enjoyed 
um, the kangaroo island joke. See, it's a really hopping place. It's interesting. I enjoyed that. Because these are jokey jokes. These are dad jokes. Right. And I love dad jokes. See, whereas I prefer the character stuff with just Saka being sarcastic, mm. which I love. Yeah. Or Aang being a dork. Yeah. Or... No, that's that's not even in this season. I'll, that's something else later <laughs> in the season. But like, or sometimes, Suk- uh, sorry, um, sometimes no, no, Suka? Saka, Saka will try and do a bit of a dad joke, but he yeah. laughs at his own joke as yeah. well, which is the funny bit. It's yeah. like that he thinks it's funny. But I think like, and I see like those examples yeah. of jokes are, are the character. But I think these terrible jokes that I find hilarious, they're the Mad King Boomy. Sure, like yeah, it makes totally. sense that he would say these ridiculous things. My, my favourite ongoing joke of the entire series... Is it is, cabbage? ...is introduced in that episode, though. Yeah. <laughs> my cabbages! I've always said that if I go to a costume party and I'm in a pair, I really want the person I'm with to be dressed as the cabbage man and <laughs> me to be dressed as a cabbage. Sure. That's a real dream of mine. I'm yet to find someone to... Uh, dress up as the cabbage man <laughs> i'm yet to find a party in which i'm allowed to go as a cabbage <laughs> but you know I'm, I'm holding out i'm holding out um but yeah and and i, I think you now we'll get to criticisms later that's all right but okay we talked about the comedy then and the, the comedy is a real part of the show though and it is yep. really funny at times mm-hmm. really funny and nearly every episode i'll have at least a couple of times yeah. i just like properly chuckle <laughs> i think that's awesome as well yeah. and that again reminds me of why i like it like it, 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 it's why the show reminds me of Harry Potter because it, it, it's charming as well. Mm-hmm. And part of what makes Harry Potter awesome is that it, it, it can be very charming. Yeah, it has it's a, a sense of fun. Or, it has yes. a real sense of fun, yeah. which Avatar has as well. And, but it's balanced out by being there's still has been this epic story and having these characters who are people and have flaws and wants yeah. and desires. I mean, and this if ongoing it story. just had a sense of fun, it was just like this child childish thing we wouldn't, I wouldn't like it as much it. no. it's it's because it finds that balance that we're engaged and this is why again to use dead like me as the example of what not to do <laughs> dead like me doesn't work as a comedy no. because i don't give a crap about those characters yeah i don't care about them they're not convincing they're not people they are just annoying people mm-hmm. especially the ones they try and lean heavily on as being funny funny <clears throat> but because yeah. they're not people that I care about it's really hard to like them because I just can't watch I can't enjoy the show I can't <laughs> anyway one day I'll, I'll get that chip off my shoulder I don't think you will I mean I never will no let's turn into some serious scar tissue <laughs> it has. it's better in my soul yeah hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, the show also um, really delves into some... So to, to, to counteract the comedy is the themes of the show can be mm. very, very deep at times. Yeah. So let's think about some ones that are in here. There are... Uh, Lots of things about loss and loneliness, mm. whether that's being separated from your parents or the loss of a parent mm. or a parent type figure of your entire culture. Hang yeah. <laughs> is the last of his people. He, he is the last airbender, as the yeah. title suggests. His whole culture has been wiped out. Yeah. He's got no... He, oh, well, we find that there is one person that is alive that was alive when he was a child. And that's Boomy. But mm. he's 100 years older than him now. He's an old man. Yes. And doesn't travel around with him. He's just in there for an episode. Um, we have a couple of episodes that deal with sexism. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, that, uh, well okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go through something. But there's like this, there's uh, the dangers of like arrogance, like mm-hmm. when Aang is mm-hmm. being told by people to be careful with fire yeah. and ends up hurting Katara by with his fire bending. Mm. There's... Yeah, I think like self-control is a big part of Aang's journey. Definitely. Um, and... And fear or mm. or Aang's, you know, the thing that really starts this story is he is, he runs away yes. from the air temple when he's told he's going to be taken mm-hmm. away from Yeah, he, Yeah, he makes a airbender. rash decision that is fueled by fear. Yep. Um, and that's a huge weight on his shoulders throughout mm-hmm. the entire, the guilt that comes with that as yeah. well, because he was away for a hundred years. Um, there's lots and lots of things like this, which I think are really, really cool as well. And it just doesn't doesn't shy away from some pretty important stuff. Death does happen, or they talk about death at mm. least a lot. Um, a character does die in the last episode. I mean, in two characters what, die actually. in the third episode. You know, it's about the genocide of the Airbenders, which you know, heavy stuff for a kids' show, but they do it and they do it well. You see the skeleton mm. of Monkey Artso. Yeah. You actually see which the is, body. Yeah. His mentor. Yeah. Of, of Aang's essentially the closest thing he had to a father figure when yep. he was growing up. Um, mm. the, by the way, the airbending nomads is a really weird civilization. It's just... What do you mean? Well, it's like they exist as this monk-like nation, mm. but it's like, especially, at least in this season, we don't see any women. We don't know what, how the women function that. They're all boys, I think, that we see in any of the flashbacks That's and stuff true. like that. It's a very weird society. It, and because it's so monk-like and stuff like that, where, where, where is Aang's father? What, what, where are his parents? We don't know anything about Maybe because his... they're monks. Like, maybe the Eastern Air Temple was full of women or something. Who knows? That maybe might, that, was... that might actually be true. Maybe that might actually separated. be a detail I've forgotten. Something like that. Um, I mean, I just pulled that out of my ass, but cool. But yeah, <laughs> but, that, but, they, but there's a lot of questions about yeah. that. I just find that yeah. really weird. Culture it just doesn't seem to. I don't mm. see how that sustained itself as a culture. <laughs> Again, where are his Aang's parents? What's the story there? We don't know anything about them. Was he just born from the earth? Like, I mean, did Airbenders? Do they just pluck Airbenders from other cultures? Well, they are considered nomads. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting thought. Hmm. Don't know. <laughs> we'll look into that. I mean, it's kind of like you know, the Dalai Lama and all the other lamas in which they just take children from like families because they believe they've been reincarnated or whatever. So yeah. maybe it's something along those lines. And just generally, I think in this show as well, they really do a good job of, of blurring good and evil. Mm. There are very few characters mm-hmm. who are definitively or even like powers in the world that are definitively good or bad. So the fire nation is obviously bad, but there are good people inside the fire nation yes. as well, without a doubt. Yeah. The, the earth, 
betas are generally considered to be, or the the Earth nation is generally considered to be good, but there are not so good people mm. in there as well. You think of Jet as a good example of someone who's fighting, who's jerk. fighting against the Fire Nation, but is doing so at the cost at civilians, know, of civilians. Yeah. Um, you know, he's robbing from the poor and all these sorts of things. I just. I think it's really amazingly cool and complex. And it's one of the reasons I bought as a present for my niece mm-hmm. the entire series. Because I was right. like, this is an awesome show with great characters and some really good role models for women, I think, in there as well. I think Katara yes. is excellent. There's future seasons, other characters as well. <laughs> also good for that, but that's a different story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's nice to know that both this show and Korra, I'm just, I can just like show to my kids in the future. I don't have kids, but... Who knows what will happen. Um, but, like, like, show any child and it's fine and it completely aligns with my values as a person and I can confidently, like, give it to them. Like, this is just – one, it's a good show, so I'm teaching you what good shows are. Absolutely. And two, it's, yeah, got the stuff in it that I agree with. I'm jealous of kids who got to grow up with Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I mean, I'm not because yeah. I got Harry Potter, so it's yeah. three years old, but – yeah, we um, did get Harry Potter. That's Harry awesome. Potter. We're, we're amazing. <laughs> we're the lucky ones. Yeah. You want to talk about the sexist or mm. sexism and the way it's taught? Well, I just had a question about sexism. Sure. Is it just a water tribe thing? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Because we open up with Saka. Saka? Saka. Yeah, Saka. sorry. We open up with Saka just saying some really sexist things to his sister in about the how first scene. yeah in the first scene about how girls are just useless and that kind of continues on when he meets the warriors of Kyoshi. The Kyoshi warriors. Yes, yeah. um, and he's super sexist then. And then we go to the Northern Water Tribe and they have institutionalized sexism there. Yes. So I was just like, obviously, like Saka doesn't have TV, doesn't have books. He clearly learnt those sexist ideals from somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. I'm just kind of assuming that water tribes are sexist civilizations or communities. You might be right, yeah. Mm. I mean, are they more sexist than the airbenders, airbenders who just don't seem to have any women around? <laughs> they don't even... Sorry. They need a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, listen, possibly, yeah. Mm. But it's like Saka has a really good journey in that. Yeah, which I as well think as is that. really good. And it's mm. an you know, important thing to discuss if, you know, just because you have sexist ideas doesn't make you a bad person. You just ignorant mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um but did you like that they approach that stuff like do you like the the way they approach um, like it the was a little and... heavy-handed in kyoshi sure um but once a kid's show you know what i mean because mm-hmm. you know that does do sometimes you... you lose a bit of nuance because of and that's early on in the season yeah. too like that's yeah. episode four Five, mm. four, episode four. So that's like real. They're still figuring out exactly what the show yeah. is. It's still its most kiddie at this stage. Mm. It's really hard to find a balance when you have a character saying really sexist things and making sure the message is really clearly stated that that's not actually good or funny to think those things. Whereas sometimes, because Sucker is so funny, it that gets lost a little bit. Sure. Um, but generally, I you know I really like what they're doing with it. I, I, I think, it's, yeah, like I said, it's important to discuss it. And I think they're at least, you know, trying to do that. Does it help that Saka is a bit of a clown? And so, so imagine if Saka was actually like suave and cool mm. and capable all the time and then said things about women versus Katara, who is often the at the other end of his sexist, you know, barbs, yeah. especially at the start of the season, 
tends to be the smarter and he tends to end up losing yeah. in some capacity you know, I mean, in those situations. Yeah, because I think it's, Saka's sexism comes from a place of insecurity and, well, with his sister. In, it, <laughs> and with women, actually, in well, general. And just his place as a man yeah. in a society where he's, he's the oldest he is the man, man. in yeah. that tribe at the start as well. Mm-hmm. Talking about toxic masculinity. He's got a real, <laughs> you know, definitive idea. He was told by his dad to stay behind and protect specifically his to protect sister. his sister. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's got a real specific mm. role in mind. Which is bizarre because he was like, what, like 13 or something when his dad left and his sister is a waterbender, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, they are just a sexist society. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, it would be spoilers to talk about why that's actually probably... I, watching it this time around, I was like, oh, that actually is informed by a particular reason. Right. I don't remember what that reason is. She's the last waterbender in that tribe. She's the last waterbender of the Southern Water tribe. She's very important. Right. Yes. She's actually a secret. Like, yeah. no one actually oh, knows. Actually, I've got a question about that. Sure. So, Grand Grand came from the Northern Water the Northern tribe. tribe. Um, she knows they don't teach women. She doesn't tell That's not Kata- the point. Katara at any point that, oh, you can go, but just so you know, they might not teach you, so be prepared for that. And she just doesn't mention it That's at all. That's true. That's a good point. I had never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Thanks for that plot yeah. hole. Thanks for ruining... That entire show's ruined to mask. <laughs> Actually, no, I think about it. It's fucking shit. <laughs> the worst show ever. She's 100-something. I don't know. She's 80-something years old. Leave her alone. Okay. You're right. I'm, I'm sorry, Grand Grand. She's been around other water benders her entire life. She's like... Yeah. And actually, okay, something that bothered me a little bit was... So, they go to the Northern Water Tribe and Uh they won't teach her to water bend, even though she's dope. Um, And the only reason that the Master Paku... Paku, yep. Yeah, changes his mind is because he sees the betrothal necklace that he made for Grand Gram. Yep. So, it didn't have anything to do with um, Katara. Her being awesome. With her, her to abilities. S- to some degree, it does. It's like he acknowledges that she's very good at waterbending. Mm. And he definitely does respect her more after that battle. But he, he walks away and like, doesn't, re- doesn't respect her enough to teach her, mm. but definitely respects that she is capable. Right? Mm-hmm. He respects... There's no... If you, you keep watching, he obviously respects power and dedication and all those sorts of things. Right? Mm. He talks about... he. He's really disappointed with Aang because he's not taking her seriously yeah. as Katara is later on. Like he there are there are things about Katara that he admires, but doesn't admire but you know, doesn't be- think believe those qualities belong in a woman. Mm. But the idea is that when reminded about how his true love left him because of those bullshit rules of his culture mm. is swayed into right. to, you know, change his entire outlook on life. Which <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty you know, again, kid show. Yeah. You think he would have come to that realization when Grand Grand left, but anyway, that's fine. Unless the theory is that like he became bitter and maybe resented women more, and maybe he's double downing, doubling down on these cultural norms of women being. Then why would he change his mind when he sees the necklace? Um, uh, yeah. When they just make him even angrier. Because <laughs> he this again. is the granddaughter. This is the granddaughter of the one who's yeah. become a very I don't who's know left, got married, had kids, had grandkids, and now she's back and like. Throwing my culture in my face. How dare you? It's not the Master Parker show, all right? (laughs) And also I want to ask if if (laughs) so he's he's decided to (laughs) Sorry, I've got some questions. 
<laughs> Sorry, not, I don't know all the answers. Hashtag not all Pakus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, he decides... <laughs> not all waterbenders. <laughs> um, so, he wanted... To, he decided that he can teach Katara. Yeah. Um, does that, but is that just exclusive to her or has he now changed his Again, ways? it's not the Master Parker show. I don't know. We don't come back to Master Parker until season three. I very just want to know what rights the women now have in the Northern Water Tribe. I, okay. uh, maybe watch Cora and maybe you'll find out. Okay. I mean, I've watched it before, but I, I guess I wasn't so invested in the politics knowing, of what happened in Avatar. About, knowing yeah. enough about Cora. She is the Avatar, and she is a waterbender. And but is she from know. the Northern Water Tribe? Well, they explain in this episode, this is a detail I love, that <laughs> yeah. they say we need to go to the Southern Water Tribe and start to re-establish our yeah. connection with the other That's waterbenders. That's true, yeah. So, theoretically, either the Northern mm. Water Tribe is going to sort of... Um, you know, That's to make more waterbenders, right? True, yeah. yeah. But they're going to assimilate the existing civilization mm. they have in the Southern Water Tribe. Or... The Southern Water Tribe are going to, and their non-sexist beliefs are going to start to mm. um, trickle back into the Northern Water Tribe. Yeah, interesting. But certainly things have improved yeah. seventy years later. <laughs> we know that much. That's true. Mm. This is getting way out of context, though, because we're talking about season one. Uh, the storyline in general, the, just the epicness of the story. So mm. it starts out with Aang is the chosen one, essentially. Mm-hmm. He is... Oh. The one person in the world who can control all four elements. Mm-hmm. He's been gone for a hundred years. Yes. He's lost his entire culture. Mm-hmm. He's the Fire Nation uh, taking over. He wakes up and he's only knows airbending. He meets a couple of other ragtag kids, one of which can bend water, the other one which can't, and they have a quest to go and learn the rest of these elements. A couple of episodes later, we find out they have a limited time frame on how long this is going to be mm-hmm. because a giant great. comet comet is coming, which is going to power up the firebenders yeah. and basically make them invincible, boom, boom. at least temporarily, but enough to finish the war. Mm-hmm. The, I... I that mixed with just the ongoing history and world building and stuff, it's, it's, I, I, I don't understand how people write this stuff. Like, I've written scripts for like comedies that involve six people and mm. they're tiny little shared histories. But the idea of building like an epic tale yeah. like this and making it function and making it, oh man, yeah. it's, it's so good. I've tried before to try and build like a fantasy world. <laughs> yeah. Um, it takes so much work mm. that I would just always reach a point. I was like, oh, I'm just going to write another 20 minute sitcom because like, it's it's so much work. It's and I I just don't think I have got the brain power for it to be honest with you. And that's before mixing in the storyline of like redemption they're trying mm-hmm. to put into their antagonist as well. Yeah. That's underneath all of this. I don't know. I yeah. just think the whole thing's incredible. Let's get to the Star Wars stuff. Yes, I I know you're excited about this. I made the controversial statement at the end of the last podcast that I think Avatar is better than Star Wars. The best place to start with this is talk about how it's similar to Star Wars, for instance. So why I compare Mm -hmm. it to that at all. I think if you take the three seasons of Avatar, Mm -hmm. you can overlay them to some degree over the three original Star Wars films. So season one of Avatar The Last Airbender is sort of like, is in some ways, A New Hope. Right. Now, there's a lot of story little details that are different. Mm. Obviously, the setting is completely different, that sort of stuff. But they have 
certain elements in common. Mm-hmm. A, they're both fantasies. Don't for a second tell me that Star Wars is sci-fi. It is not. It is a fantasy movie. I know. We've already had this discussion and you ripped me in your asshole. Hey, I understand that. Good. Excellent. <laughs> it is a fantasy film where there is a mysterious power mm-hmm. in Star Wars is the Force. That's their magic. In this, the magic is bending. Mm-hmm. Where we have a bad empire, which are basically in control of the world at this stage. Mm-hmm. The Fire Nation or the Empire in... Uh, Star Wars, we have our chosen one who is going, is, has special powers, is considered to be very, very powerful, mm-hmm. who who rejects the call to adventure at mm-hmm. first, uh, and famously doesn't want to be the Avatar, Yeah, uh, who has, who, let's say we've got our Leia, so that's our Luke comparison. Wait, sorry, right? did you say the hero rejects adventure? So, Luke... At first, when Obi-Wan says, you're going to come with me to save the Princess Leia. Right. So he says, I've got to go, but I can't. Even though he wants to, right? Mm. He says, oh, see, he right. rejects it. I can't. I've got to go back to, um, or I'm not going on your adventure. Yeah, right. And then when Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen are dead, he decides to go with Obi-Wan. Yeah. He's like, oh, I've got to take on the Empire, right? The Empire can make family. Well, mm-hmm. in a similar way, Luke finds out that his heritage has been destroyed as well. Monkey Atso is killed. Aang. Aang, sorry, yep. thank you. Did I say Luke? Yeah. Aang. Uh, finds out that his parents have been killed or his parent equivalent, Monkey and mm-hmm. that helps to sort of solidify his journey as well. We've got our... In a way, we've got... We do have a brother and sister who are travelling together. You don't know that in A New Hope, but we do have that in... We do know that in Avatar. Um, season one. We... K- Katara does share some Leia qualities. They're both very strong-willed and strong... Uh, strong-willed women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saka... And Han, Han is a scoundrel. Suck would like to be a scoundrel. Han sometimes doesn't do it quite as well as he thinks he is, particularly mm. later on in the series we find that as well. So there are some comparisons there. They don't have a Millennium Falcon, but they do have a ARPA, uh-huh. their mm-hmm. ship that gets them around. Yeah. Um, they You can sort of use ARPA and um, Momo as your sort of C-3PO and yeah. um, R2-D2 compar- comparisons, or maybe even ARPA could be a little bit of a Chewbacca, but I don't think there's really a Chewbacca in this show. No. At least not yet, although I don't know how well that plays anyway. That's a different story. Um, in that, oh, that's saying, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got what you're saying with that. Yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Um, there is, so we don't know this yet, but we, our main antagonists are trying to... So the main antagonist in Star Wars is, is Darth Vader. We find out as that series goes along that that's meant to be a redemptive arc. It's not there in A New Hope, probably because George Lucas didn't plan it to be at the time, mm. but that's a different story. We do have that character, their main antagonist, who has a redemptive arc, and it's much more successfully actually put yeah. into motion in this first season, which is great. Um, we have the epic ba- the epic war between the rebels and the and the empire. As I said, at the end of a new hope, Luke uses a mystic power to defeat a force that's threatening to destroy the base or the of fortress of the rebels mm-hmm. in this season the fire nation come to so in in new hope it's the death star is going yeah. to destroy yavin 4 um when in avatar it's the fire nation navy have come to destroy the water temple no sorry the, the northern water tribe mm-hmm. and ang taps into his avatar state to <laughs> defeat them and to to save the things there are just there are lots of little things there. And mm-hmm. they both function importantly. And the Fire Lord is the Emperor, yeah. And the Fire Lord is the Emperor, exactly. Yeah. Fire Lord Ozai, the mysterious figure in the yeah. background, <laughs> yeah. is he's the Emperor of the Fire Nation, essentially, is what he's 
you know, the Fire Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so all there are all these little things that sort of fit into the this structure. Mm. That's been, and it's not like Star Wars is the first one to do it. Yeah. But what I love about... I, I think it's obvious that Avatar has taken some influence, particularly from Star Wars. Mm. I just think it does a, a better job of it. I think bending is more interesting and more well-explained and more well-understood and then... Um, and more inventive than the Force is. Mm-hmm. The Force is so vague, right? Yes. It's talked about in all these vague terms, and all we really know is it kind of makes you better at sword fighting, mm. and you can move things sometimes, or yeah. do cool things like Force choke and stuff like that. Um, and it's also in Star Wars how the bad guys have different powers to the good guys, yeah, which is cool too. But and that exists in Avatar as well. But it's I think it's just bending is way more successful mm-hmm. at being interesting as a it's, as yeah. It's fully magic. realized, um, even from the get-go, which is different from Star Wars. Sorry, you got another point. Luke <laughs> is a really whiny, unappealing character, even though he is our our main protagonist. Mm-hmm. I think Aang, while he is sort of too virtuous at times, is still much more interesting and layered and complex and has a better story mm-hmm. going on than he yeah. does. We don't have a, a... Okay, Han. Star Wars wins Han. But I think we've got... They try for comedy. There is some decent comedy in Star Wars. I think it's way better in Avatar mm-hmm. overall. The music and Han, I like the and the, and it being set in space. I like the things that Star Wars has going for it. But in so many ways, I just feel like Avatar is like, if you love Star Wars, you will love Avatar. And if you like me, you might even love it more. I just find it really interesting. And they're both acting as an act one of the overall story, right? And yeah. this is very much the act one of the Avatar story as the, mm-hmm. as the way, same way the New Hope was of Star Wars. Yeah. And I think it becomes even more apparent in the second and third one. I can't wait to wait the second season because it is such a good overlay for Empire. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing is it's actually quite difficult to discuss this season because we know what happens. Yeah. And so many, so much of what I love about this show and what I really want to it's delve into, it, it's, it's coming. Yeah. Um, there are hints of it in this season, but I can't put forward um, the points that I want to because I don't have the evidence yet because I can't talk about yeah. and, future seasons. And I, I look forward to talking about those things as well because mm. I think, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I did want to touch on your Star Wars thing and I mm. think the two protagonists that you're talking about, Luke and Aang, Aang um, are similar and I think that has a lot to do with um, the ideology in both these series are very influenced by Eastern philosophy and ideology and that kind of thing. It's very much about self-reflection and self-growth and self-control, which is not usually... It's not particularly a Western idea when we're talking about heroes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that helps. Like, yeah, you can kind of see the the echoes of Star Wars in, in Avatar because... It has that, East, that, Eastern that Eastern philosophy. philosophy. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> do you, ha- I, I love the way that it just Eastern culture is generally used in mm. Avatar as well. Mm-hmm. It's so effective. And yeah. it's interesting because it is, what, yeah, it's interesting because it's, it's not taking from anything directly. Mm-hmm. It's taking a general, oh, I don't know, I guess it's taking a general vibe or a general aesthetic and then, but creating its own world, its own universe mm-hmm. out of it. <clears throat> yes, because, I mean, you can point out how certain um, civilizations or cultures in this world are, you know, this one's Japanese or Chinese or Inuit or whatever it might be. Um, and and so if you really focus on it, you can see that. 
but it's not glaring so much as to be like, oh, this is from our world. It's not yeah, to definitely. that level, yeah. It's to create a whole thing. You know, do you think that's a version of cultural appropriation, though? No, I don't. No? No. To take... So it's an American cartoon mm. made by two Americans. Mm-hmm. They have taken a bunch of Eastern ideas and aesthetics and mm-hmm. put them together into create their own fantasy world. This fantastical, maybe idealistic or... Uh, interpretation of Eastern philosophy and Eastern culture. It's not cultural appropriation. No, because I feel like it's creating its own mythology. I don't think it's positing itself as this is, you know, a Chinese philosophy or this is a Japanese ideology. I don't, I think it's, it is sourcing from different cultures. Sure. Um, but I feel like appropriation, you take something and you by taking it, you devoid it of meaning. And sure. I feel like they're infusing those meanings together and creating something new. But they're not removing that entirely. True. I think Did that I make sense then? Yeah, no, no I yeah, think so. Okay. I think, I think. well, cultural appropriation, some of the time... I mean, been... it's hard for me to say because I'm a white woman and I, I'm not, I can't really say. Sure. So if, like, you know, a Chinese person was like, no, it is, I'd be like, oh, okay, it is. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. But I, I never watched it and felt uncomfortable well and usually things like that do make me feel uncomfortable i think one of the things is that i think often when cultural appropriation has been accused on something it's because it really adds a distinctly white element into it in some way Mm. or gets used at the service of a white story yeah and i don't think that's the case here Mm. Um, this isn't the last samurai you know what i mean like exactly Or what Ghost in the Shell is being accused of, mm. of, or even Kubo, which I love this year. Mm. Although, no, it's got similar problems because it's, I'm not sure how many, eight. oh no, they've got Marco in there, he, who does the voice of Uncle Ira. Anyway, it's it's a tricky subject um, mm. about representation, these sorts of things, yes. right? Um, but yes, it is, it's creating its own world, but the Asian elements are never used. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is throughout, which is good. The, all of the characters mm. are of sort of an Asian complexion yeah. or an obvious sort of yeah. like they feel yeah. like they would come from that. Yeah, culture. I feel like it never diminishes Asian culture, the various Asian cultures that it takes from. It never diminishes them. Um, and it doesn't. It doesn't do what Dr. Strange did as well. Have you seen Dr. Strange? No, I, I haven't remember. seen it. Oh, okay. That's being accused of a similar thing because they've taken one character who was. Uh, Asian in the comics, Till right. Swinton's playing that character in this. People oh, gone, that's yeah, interesting. Right? Um, and it's another one of those stories like The Last Samurai where a white man walks in to the other, mm. the Eastern world. The white saviour kind of bullshit, yeah. Well, and but just is like he is taught something that he didn't have in his own world and then yeah. takes that with him and becomes and then is, the best at Yeah, it. exactly the yeah, best he, he, at it, yeah. The Sorcerer Supreme is what Dr. Strange ends up becoming yeah. at some stage. I don't know if we get there in this one, but it's mm. it's where they end up going with it. And that's sort of a problematic. Mm-hmm. And that's really not what's happening in this I mean, I haven't seen the live-action film of Avatar, but do they have Asian... I know they, they've got Indian people playing the Fire Nation. There is some real criticisms about the fact that... But that, the Water Tribe, they're white people, right? Yeah. So when in the cartoon, they're clearly not white people. Yes. And the... Yeah, it's really interesting that the Fire Nation are distinctly darker <laughs> in, in the movie than it's they are in the show. It's an interesting choice since it's made by an... Like, what did I say? 
an American Indian, an Indian American sure. director, which is interesting. Yeah. And that you would hope <laughs> that maybe he'd get that stuff. I don't know. I think. Yeah. That's, we could do a whole podcast on M. Night Shyamalan being a hack as well, but that's a different story, Jake. Can we not? That'd be depressing. No. Um, mm. All right. Let's talk about criticisms for a second then. We've sort of talked about okay. this a little bit. We can move into this in a second. What are there? What elements bother you about the show? What doesn't work for you? What doesn't work? Um, nothing too big. Nothing that I think is so detrimental that it ruins my enjoyment. Um, there are a lot of filler episodes, but like we've said, they generally help uh, define or grow character. But also there are, helps that they're 20 minutes long. Yeah, that's true. But there are there are quite a few filler episodes. Sure. Um, so that would be a negative for me. Well, I if I had to choose. Filler, that's thing. Let's talk about filler for a second then. Mm. The idea of filler. The idea that it doesn't... Basically, it's not progressing the main plot. Yeah. Um, the format of the show, though... I mean, that... There, when... I think of filler, I think of anime. Gets talked about filler a lot. Mm. So, a filler episode in Dragon Ball Z, for instance, would be an episode where they are meant to be building up to fighting Cell or something like that and they go and learn how to drive cars. There's an episode like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can feel... The... I was having flashbacks of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. yeah. Or where it's they like do... It's like just an episode of Goku just going... Ah! The that's, whole time. A, that's a whole different sort of filler. That's, yeah. just, that's padding. That's a whole different thing. Um, yeah. it, this is really built into the show, though, that it's almost yeah. like there's it's... three or four filler with quotation marks around mm. episodes, and then we get a couple of episodes. Well, of... it's very like, it's this show is really interesting, actually, because those filler episodes are they're really monster of the week episodes. Yeah, so yeah, they it's more do that, like yeah. a Buffy or something like so that. So they do that really well That's a better way of putting and it. then they have, you know, the story that moves the plot, which Buffy does as well and they do it yes, really they well. Yes, they do. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, yeah. It's more like think that. Think of it that way. That's yeah. a better way of putting it. And I think that is that is a very American television mm. show yeah. way of doing things mm-hmm. is to, yeah, have an episode. It's like, a, like yeah. a Charmed or Supernatural or a Buffy or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. A lot of the time, you know, those filler episodes are filled with, you know, characters that either make me laugh or I can connect with on some level. There are a few episodes where that doesn't happen. Sure. Um, but it's, I feel like 20 minutes long it's fine. I usually giggle maybe once or twice. It's it's not a big deal. It's certainly not offensive. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, groaning while I'm sitting on the couch watching it. What what what's uh what are your criticisms? Um certainly the this part of the the biggest problem that the show when it starts out is it's such a kiddie tone. Mm, yeah. Um it really is really kiddie. It's yep. it's not at that stage. You would have no idea what the show is going to become. And that's, I mean, that's not really a criticism because, you know, a story that starts small and gets big is, is there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it, um, it, it obviously struggles a little bit at the start to figure out what its tone is. And you wonder what the cause of that is. You wonder whether that was creators. You wonder whether that was because Nickelodeon wanted this to be a certain thing as mm. well. Whether when they were pitching the show, it was like, this is going to be aimed at <laughs> eight to 12 year olds. And yeah. it's going to, and like, but that like, you know, it does take a little while to get going because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the music in the show is generally good. It has some really strong themes. I love the Avatar theme. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Whenever Anne goes into the Avatar Keep state. singing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, I love when that kicks in. You know, it's always quite powerful. Yeah. I love the little... There's a theme called the Avatar Love Theme, um, hmm. which I'll talk to you about later off, off air about something about that. Yeah, I think uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm. And, but, as much as I like the music overall... 
the music or the sound design of the show is really interesting. Okay. It, it, it actually sounds like a fair. It's because the the sound effects and like the com and the, like the, the fighting and stuff like that is fine. It's great. It's really effective. There's this thing that does where the show. So your fate, like you said, one of your favorite moments in this whole episode, was this whole duck. thing was the duck, right? Yeah. The duck is great because mm-hmm. the duck is just an awkward moment <laughs> between Aang and this duck, yeah. and there is nothing to reinforce it's, the joke. Yeah, it's an awkward moment timing. punctuated by another awkward moment. It's fabulous, yeah. and it's just it all comes down to timing and performance, mm-hmm. right? What sometimes the show tries to do is it tries to really, really lean on the comedy and go, like someone does something bad and goes, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. with yeah. a slide whistle. Yeah. Or or Zuko walks into a scene and it goes, dun, dun. Mm. Like there's a theme, there's like yeah. a Fire Nation theme. And it's like, bad guy. Or yeah. funny moment. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I know this is kiddie. Like this is aimed at kids yeah. to some degree. It definitely is a habit it gets... It starts doing less and less and less yes. in this season, but even towards the end of the season, they do use it occasionally. There's one bit. Oh, it was in the second last episode. I think it's the first part of Siege of the of the North, mm. and Master Paku is teaching uh, Aang and Katara and another waterbender, and they use that cue three times inside thirty to forty seconds. That. Wah, wah. Oh, really? And I'm just like, guys, do I need to do this anymore? We're yeah. past this. Um, I think, yeah, I don't like that. I'm always like, oh, you're such a more sophisticated show than this. Mm. My other only real criticism. But do you think that really works for the kids, though? Like, they love that. I they don't, really respond to that. I, I feel like I want to give kids more credit. Mm. I think... I hate talking down to kids. I feel like that's talking. Anytime you have to go laugh here, you are yeah. belittling their intelligence. Mm. I think. Okay. I'm not sure. I'll, if it I'll was have Blue's Clues, yeah. okay, sure. <laughs> like infants, yeah, right. Yeah, infants, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Have you seen boobars, the stuff they do, Teletubbies? Anyway. Boobars? What are boobars? Oh, that's a horror. I'll show you later. Okay, great. <laughs> um,. That's a whole the uh, the way they kept that sort of primary school or preschool kids television is constructed is a whole different story. I don't know how that works. That's an acid trip. Yeah, mm, exactly. Mm. The only other criticism I kind of have is, um, as clear as the concepts of the show are generally, the mythology of the show, mm-hmm. the way that bending works and stuff like that is, I find the spirit world a little bit confusing. I find it very ill defined. The Example is when they have the Winter Solstice Part 1, the spirit world, where Aang gets pushed into the spirit world. And the, the, I think the, the thing is they're saying there is that the spirit world and, and the mortal world are the closest they're going to be during the solstice, yes. right? So it's easier for him to enter the spirit world here. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the answer to the question, but it's not explicitly stated, so I'm not sure. But he does this thing where he becomes like this ethereal body. Mm-hmm. This uh, He's like astral projecting sort of. Yes. And he's in the spirit world, but he's in the mortal world. He's like hanging around the town. He can see Katara and he can't grab his... Yeah. And it's like... Yeah, that's true. Are you in the spirit world or are you astral projecting into the mortal world? And then that's why General Ira can see him because he's flying around the mortal world. Yeah. The next time he goes into the spirit world is in The Siege of the North Part 2. Fantastic sequence, by the way. Spirit world is amazing in that bit. <laughs> and Ko is so cool. And mm. to spoil things... Doesn't come back, and that makes me really sad. Oh, I'll really? see you again, Avatar. Oh. We never see Ko again, and Ko is oh, so creepy and terrifying. awesome. Terrifying, so actually awesome. terrifying. So yeah. awesome. 
Um, this is a monster, just a pretty much listening that steals people's faces. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like this weird centipede, terrifying oh, monster. Yeah, it's, it's a great. great performance too. Mm. Um, and that's a completely. He wakes up when he's in the spirit world in a completely different place. Mm. Like it's there's a recognizable element that's like he's gone through a gate, so it's yeah. a similar area. But then everything beyond that area is like a forest and like a swamp, and like mm. it's not anywhere that recognizes where he was in the mortal world. Yes, that confuses me. Yes, <laughs> that that that's it. That's yeah. my criticism. I, yeah, I I just kind of took that for what it was because I even when I watch you know. Studio Ghibli stuff. I'm like this. The whole thing about spirits. It's always confused me. I don't really I, understand. I hate that it. as a crutch, though. It's like, it's like I really. I can see why you don't like it, but I just like I don't have the brain power to kind of figure it out. So I just like let it go. Because this is the problems I have with like Harry Potter. Yeah. It's like I find the plot that Voldemort had in the Goblet of Fire to be ridiculous. That his whole plan was to get Harry to that graveyard by having to complete the Triwizard Tournament and touch the <laughs> Triwizard Cup, which will transport him to the graveyard. Yeah. It's like, fucking get Moody, your agent inside here. or Just give him like a special pencil. That, hey, like... ca- come to my office after class. Do me a favor. Could you just grab that pencil over yeah, there for exactly. me? Boom, he's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a... Ah! I do not understand yeah. why... It had to be so, and yeah, and so I, I find those. I don't know. That's my again. It's my stupid brain working. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's like when we Fair watch the coincidence in Breaking Bad. Mm. Anyway, that's it. That's all I can think of for criticism. That's pretty good because I love <laughs> just about everything about this yeah. show. Mm. Um, I'm just excited to talk about future seasons. To be honest with you, I just, I just want to keep watching so we can talk about it more. There is a, uh, yeah, yeah. There is. This season ends in a really interesting place. You mm. sort of it's it's done a really good job of setting up the story. Um, it's also had some growth. Yeah. So our characters have come a fairly long way, and they've achieved some things mm. that we can feel like uh, something's been accomplished. A big battle has been won. All right, I'm looking forward to seeing the next step. And particularly Zuko is in a really complex place at the end of this season, which is really cool mm. as well. Um, he has. Had the Avatar and then lost the Avatar. <laughs> Once again, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, I, I think because I remember we were when we were talking about watching the first season of Avatar and I was like, oh, I can't remember what happened in season, like in the following seasons, in like season two and three and stuff. I was like, I can't remember what happens. And then I was watching season one and I was like, oh, this is just act one and like, you know, and Roku's talking about this comment coming and all this stuff. And I was like, yep, cool. That's where the season's going to end. Because that's what I expect from a TV show. Mm-hmm. And this show doesn't do it. And even the way, you know, like the episodes are labeled as chapters and that kind of thing. It's creating such a mythology. Mm-hmm. It we're, we're watching an epic myth. And yeah. this is just act one of it. And I just, and I remembered, I was like, oh, well, that's right. This is this story. Book one, yeah, book one. Love. This story is so big. Mm. And they are so confident that we're not going to go to the big bad at the end of season one. Yeah. It's it's not going to happen. So one of the criticisms. We're building towards it, which is lovely. Just, just to, to reflect back on some things we've talked about previously, one of the criticisms we had of season one of Breaking Bad is that mm. we didn't feel like there really was much of an arc or we didn't feel like, we thought it was all set up, mm-hmm. right? 
Do we feel like the first season of Avatar achieves more than the first season of Breaking Bad? I think so because we do have that big battle at the end. And we, so we have the kids learning. There's learn- a climax, right? Yeah, we have yeah. the kids learning, learning, learning. And so when they are challenged, they have the big challenge at the end, they're yeah. able to defeat it. And, and like, yeah, you look at uh, Admiral Zhao. Mm. His story is over. Mm-hmm. Now, like yep. he was, Bye. he ends up being the actual big bad of this season. Yes, he like does. he was the, the spike or the glory or whatever of this season. Mm-hmm. It turns out, and that story is resolved. Yep. by the end of season one. And also, what's cool is they start to set up. They do start to set up what season two is going to be about. We're introduced to Zuko's sister. Mm. Her name is not said. No, but he has mentioned he has a sister, and we know it's yep. his sister because. Um, Fire Lord Ozai is the one that says he's got a mission for her. Yeah. So it starts to tease us with where it's going mm-hmm. next. But we do have a sense of completion, of accomplishment, that they've achieved yep. something, which is cool. Oh, Star Wars thing. Uh, Roku would be the Obi-Wan of this as well. The Theoretically, the character that had to die. He mm. died before Ang Lee was alive. Yeah. But Roku died. He was the mentor that's still from the grave is helping to guide Ang mm. along. He's yep. the Obi Wan, by the way. I, kept, I was trying to figure this one out before. I was like, "Is it Monkey Arts?" No, no, no. It's um, it's got to be Roku. Roku, Roku yeah. and they're yeah. Mm. Anyway, okay. all right. <laughs> um, favorite and least favorite episodes. I'll let you go first. What's your favorite episode? I mean, it is really hard to choose, but I think I'm going to go with episode twelve, the storm. The storm. Yeah. Just because we get Zuko's backstory, which I love. Yep. And I love that it is in parallel with Aang's, Aang's backstory. Yeah. And the anguish he feels and the guilt he feels about what he did. He ran away. Um, yeah, it was just, I loved it. I loved getting to know more about Zuko. I really loved, yeah, the layering of that character. And it was, yeah, I loved to see, yeah, you know, the depth in Aang and how that actually, you know, plays on his mind quite a lot yeah that was probably my favorite what about you mine is the blue spirit and it ends up being for similar reasons mm. it's it's another ang zuko centric storyline where yeah. there there is some parallel connection taking place between those two characters which is so cool that the thing that's set up as being your main antagonist can be so closely tied mm. to your antagonist oh, to your protagonist the uh so in this one yes ang gets captured by admiral Zhao. And then because he can't have... Zuko needs to capture the Avatar to get his honor back, he goes and saves mm. Aang from this fortress, essentially. And we yeah. have that amazing fight scene. But that that would be enough, right? Mm. But then you've got that ama- the moment you mentioned in the summary as well, where Aang realizes that the Blue Spirit was Zuko the entire time. Yeah. And then asks, like, earnestly as Zuko's waking up, asks the questions like, you know, in another, li- in another life, could we have been friends? Yeah. And just starts, I don't know, this, uh, because they are more similar than I realize, because they actually do share, do share values of compassion or uh, like... Compassion well, and loyalty. Loyalty. And... and they've both lost family mm-hmm. as well, essentially. Zuko is trying to reclaim... Aang has to deal with yeah. the, the Aang, reality yeah, Aang of has not lost having a family his anymore. culture. Zuko's, Zuko's been, been pushed out of his, of his. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I I love episodes that involve those two mm-hmm. like that. I just yeah. love it. So that's my that's my favorite thing. And that again, I was the same as you though. I had a hard time. There were so many good episodes in here. Yeah. The Avatar Return. Oh, sorry, the Southern Air Temple. We find out where Aang has to come in face to face with. 
Which is like the third episode, right? It's the third it's episode. so early on. And it's, it's, yeah. I love the Warriors of Kiyoshi because I love yeah. Suki, even though it's a bit of a filler episode. Um, I, I, in when... prison. I love Imprisoned, right? So we didn't talk about this episode. It's one oh, where... I didn't. I, I really like it mm. for, again, the themes it's trying to go for. Yes, this idea okay. of, I mean, the Fire Nation essentially have internment camps. Yes, they do. And yeah. they are preventing Earth benders, the ones that are still on the mainland, mm. From using their earthbending and what that's doing to them, that repression of their culture as well. And that's mm. really important. And then Katara trying to get these people to fight back and power yeah. in numbers and like, oh, I love that sort of stuff. Yeah, Just- I, I I like, even having you explain it to me, I really like that concept. I don't know how successfully it affected me. Sure. And it's mm. again, it's really early in the season it's, mm. and it's not as sophisticated as it would have been. Say this episode came. Yeah. And there are there are other episodes like this to come. Which are just on the nose, but probably mm. do it more successfully because just the show's more sophisticated yes. at that point. Yeah, I look forward to talking about that later. Um, I love the Avatar Roku episode where mm-hmm. we finally get the stakes of Sozin's comet. Um, Jet is okay. The storm is great. The blue spirit is great. Uh, Bato and the Water Tribe. I like that one because it's a great moment to reflect on. I like to set up the ongoing storyline of Katara and. Uh, Saka trying to connect with their dad who's mm. in they've lost their mother and their dad has gone to war they they haven't seen him in two years or more than that um, yeah and then yeah, I don't know just the end of the last couple of episodes are excellent as well anyway least favourite episode what's your least favourite episode it's kind of a split I think between the great divide and the fortune teller they're probably more the great divide actually because yeah. the fortune teller did have some moments where i it has laughed. the duck scene you yeah can't not yeah that's rub. true so i'm like okay i'm gonna go with the great divide um just didn't really affect me at all um it was it was so basic it was really just it's the best example of a filler mm. monster of the week it has no bearing on the plot or yeah. even that much of a bearing on the characters I don't themselves think it, because yeah the conflict between Saka and Katara is it's not about them really they they, they, they take they take on you know what's going on around them and there's a bit of sibling rivalry but that's never really a big thing like it's kind of like that playful sibling rivalry that we all have but yeah. it's not a big conflict them so yeah it's it doesn't have big consequences or any like real consequences at all there are tiny parallels because the mm. Zhangs are so messy and the other tribe are so mm. prissy and that's the because they're so different they yeah they have conflict and that's and it, but the thing is, it, it doesn't even last between katara and saka no, because they yeah they it just they they realize yeah. early on they're being this is I, bad. I didn't like that the tribes were so like polar opposites and they were all either really neat and perfect or they were all really messy. Whereas I think this show is at its best when it shows the light and dark in all people. And that's exactly right. Yeah. The And that's generally where the show is really good. And mm. this is, like you said, it's so simplistic. Yeah. And it's, and they just keep doing And the way they solve it, I was just like, joke no. over and over and yeah. over and over again. And the, yeah, actually the solution is kind of rubbish. It yeah. kind of, um, he like just, he lies. He lies. And, and then him and Katara are like, <laughs> you're a scoundrel. It's like, really? Like, what? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You actually convinced me. I was going to say that my least favorite episode was the King of Amashu. Right. Because I just don't find this. So the comedy is great in that. The way there is a couple of bits in that that I really like. Yeah. Um, again, it just doesn't, I don't really know what I come out the other side of the episode knowing about my, about yeah. anyone. Okay. Like Aang is, Aang knows the boomies around. Mm. 
but it doesn't affect him ongoing. Um, he learns he has to think creatively. Yeah, to do we? He, he didn't already enemies. do that. He's yeah, always I don't know. Been I'm just, I'm just kind of talking. Up. Yeah, I'm not trying to disprove you. That I'm going to change my vote and actually mm-hmm. say it's the Great Divide as well. It was certainly one when it came on and knowing the show, having watched it like three or four times now, going, mm. I kind of eh. want to skip this episode. Yeah. Right. Okay. I agree with you. Great divide. Um, would we continue watching? Yes. That's a dumb question, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Obviously, we've not only done it once before, we're doing it right yeah, now. Doing it again. Okay. This is an interesting one. Mm. What would you give this a score of? Out of five, our five stars, what would you rank season one of Avatar Last Airbender? I'll give you mine because you're obviously thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it four stars. Okay. I think it definitely has room to grow. Mm-hmm. I was thinking three and a half, but I think that undersells it because I think it's already pretty great. Mm. It, it, yeah, it gets off to a little bit of a, like it's still finding its feet in the first few episodes, but man, it's, I love it by the end of the first season. I love the characters. I love the world. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to be an earthbender. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm totally in rapture with the show at this point. I'm in love with it at this point. So I, I'm giving it four. I am giving it three and a half. Uh-huh. Um, because while I am in love with the show already, it's because I know what happens later. It's not because of this season. So when you first watched it, you... I thought it was really good. I really sure. enjoyed it, but I wasn't in, in love, love with, with it. it. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So it gets three and a half for me. Because, yeah, like I said, some filler episodes. It takes quite a while to get going, to get me into it. Oh, you might want to change my score. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's really good. It's a, an amazing first season. I appreciate, yeah, the world they were able to build and yeah. how successfully they did that, how successfully they managed the comedy with... The drama, yeah. Um, the character conflicts, yeah. But yeah, three and a half because okay. yeah. I'm gonna stick with four, and I think that's it. Is there? Any, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we should really ask about this one. We can't do predictions at all because no. we already know it's coming <laughs> up. Um, so I think we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening to. Well, I hope was an okay episode. I'm worried that I just sat there and rambled and gushed for the entire time, and maybe that's really boring. But I think that's kind of what it was always going to be, which is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Okay, good. <laughs> I the mean, is, I enjoy sitting here listening to you talk about Avatar because you're so passionate about it. If you've come this far and you haven't watched the show yet, just watch the show already. Yeah. It's, please. Stop wasting please, your life. Please. It's really amazingly good. Yeah. Pull anyway. a sickie, you know, call your boss, be like, oh, I've got a it's terrible Chris- fever and just watch it in, what, one day? Can you watch it in one day? How many hours does it take to watch? It was... Oh, we didn't... Did we talk about that in the end? It I don't was think we seven did. hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, you can watch it in one day. What are you doing? It's a big day. Get your life together. That's an average day for me, let's be honest. <laughs> Before we sign off, big thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, who's the graphic designer and logo creator of Hunting Seasons. You can find him at seankirkpatrickdesigns.portfolioBox.net. And thank you to Jordan Calavis, who created our wonderful theme song. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash classicjrex. That's classic J-R-E-X. If you would like to contact us, send us your criticism, mm. send us your ideas, send us your letters, your thoughts, your comments. We'd love to mm. hear them. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Hunting Seasons. You can find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast or HuntingsCast. Uh, email us at huntingseasonspodcast at gmail.com. You can find myself on Twitter 
at B Gordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me at Twitter at Maskymo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. And please use the hashtag not all parkies. Thank you. <laughs> uh, not all waterbenders. <laughs> you can find us again next week where we will be discussing Ooh. season four. Oh, yeah. Season of four. Breaking Bad. We're getting to the nitty gritty now. We are. We're almost at the end. I'm actually a little bit sad about that. We're past the halfway mark. Mm. Um, I'm really enjoying the season. And I'm really excited. I'm so excited about where it's going. It, it's yeah. weird having I'm pumped, this... man. I am pumped. It's weird having the week off as well mm. because because I'm going to be concentrating on Avatar, and now I'm just and now I'm like, oh yeah, that's where we left off, mm. and like it's such a of, massive cliffhanger. I kind of like watching it this way, like otherwise, if I was just watching, I would have just binged it if it, I had to. Well, it does help us to tiny microcosm um, recreate the. I mean, you know, the yeah. space that you put between a season when you watch it yeah, live on true. television, where normally yeah. you'd get it, you know, 50, you know, 40 something weeks in between or whatever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this isn't terrible doing it this way. This is quite fun. I'm glad we're doing it this way. Yeah, it's good. But I am keen. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll be back next week to do that. Thank you very much for listening to Hunting Seasons. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>